Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the second quarter 2009 Hewlett-Packard Earnings Conference Call. My name is Stacy, and I'll be your conference moderator for today. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. We will be facilitating a question and answer session towards the end of the conference. If at any time during the call you require audio assistance, please press star followed by zero, and a coordinator will be happy to assist you. As a reminder, this conference is being recorded for replay purposes. I would now like to turn the presentation over to your host for today's call, Mr. Jim Burns, Vice President of Investor Relations. Please proceed. Thank you. Good afternoon. Welcome to our second quarter earnings conference call with Chairman and CEO Mark Hurd and CFO Kathy Lesjack. This call is being webcast, and a replay of the webcast will be available shortly after the call for approximately one year. Some information provided during this call may include forward-looking statements that are based on certain assumptions and are subject to a number of risks and uncertainties, and actual future results may vary materially. Please refer to the risks described in HP's SEC reports, including our Form 10-Q for the fiscal quarter ended January 31, 2009. The financial information discussed in connection with this call, including tax-related items, reflects estimates based on information available at this time and could differ materially from the amounts ultimately reported in HP's Form 10-Q for the fiscal quarter ended April 30, 2009. Earnings, operating margins, and similar items at the company level are sometimes expressed on a non-GAAP basis and have been adjusted to exclude certain items, including amortization of purchase intangibles, restructuring charges, and acquisition-related charges. The comparable GAAP financial information and a reconciliation of non-GAAP amounts to GAAP are included in the tables and in the slide presentation accompanying today's earnings release, both of which are available on the HP Investor Relations webpage at www.hp.com. I'll now turn the call over to Mark. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining us. In the second quarter, Hewlett-Packard executed well in a tough market environment. We delivered revenue of $27.4 billion and non-GAAP EPS of $0.86. Cents. We effectively managed our inventory and generated a record $5 billion of cash flow from operations. The Technology Solutions Group, which now represents more than half of HP's profits, had a solid quarter highlighted by strength in services. The services business more than doubled profits to $1.2 billion and is now our largest segment. In technology services, we're benefiting from advances in HP product quality and a more productive workforce, resulting in improved customer satisfaction. That said, we have more work to do to optimize our delivery model, and that opportunity is good news for customers and shareholders. The integration of EDS is going well, and customers are responding favorably. We had a number of large signings this quarter, and the pipeline has grown double digits since the deal closed. And during the integration, customer satisfaction has gone up. At the same time, we are building a competitive cost structure, and have now removed roughly half of the 25,000 headcount outlined in our September 2008 restructuring plan. Despite this progress, we have the vast majority of the EDS-related savings ahead of us. And across HP, we're making good progress on our cost structure with transformations across virtually every function and business group. For example, we have significant opportunities as we bring EDS into our ongoing real estate transformation. By increasing utilization and leveraging a more mobile workforce, we've identified additional annual savings of approximately $500 million beginning in 2012. These savings are incremental to the plan that we announced last September. This is one of many examples where we are dramatically changing the expense profile of the company and making steady progress toward our goal of having the industry's best cost structure. We set this objective not only because of the benefit to our margins, but also because our improved efficiency provides the platform from which we can invest and innovate for market success. For example, this quarter, PSG extended its share leadership by two points and captured the number one position in the U.S. and Asia-Pacific. IPG, which generates approximately one-third of our profits, made good progress optimizing its owned and channel inventory and aligning them to the reduced demand environment. Despite the cyclical pressures impacting its growth, IPG continues to generate solid profits and cash flow, demonstrating the strength of the business model. We are performing well in high-usage segments such as MFPs, wireless, and digital press, and we're well positioned to lead the market transition to digital printing. 
HP is leveraging a broad patent portfolio to drive innovation that will shift trillions of printed pages from analog to digital devices. Once the economy fully recovers, we expect IPG revenue to grow in the low to mid-single digits. We also continue to drive meaningful innovation across our product lines. This quarter, we launched Matrix, converged bladed servers and storage, virtual networking technology, and software, delivering the industry's first cloud infrastructure in a box. The solution, which saves customers significant money and dramatically reduces complexity, serves as an example of the power of HP's integrated portfolio. Before I turn the call over to Kathy to review the financials, let me reiterate the three reasons why I'm confident that HP will emerge from the current market environment as a stronger force in the industry. First, our broad market-leading portfolio. HP has scaled services, software, and hardware built upon open industry standards that differentiate us in the marketplace. We understand customer needs and can deliver integrated solutions today. Second, our increasingly efficient cost structure. Our efficiency programs are significant and ongoing, and our scale provides a sustainable competitive advantage. Third, our track record of successful execution. As this quarter demonstrates, we are executing in the marketplace, executing on the EDS integration, and executing on our cost initiatives. Our goal is to maintain our strategy through this economic cycle. By continuing to drive innovation, build sales and customer support, and invest for growth, we have the opportunity to create a meaningful competitive advantage for years to come. With that, I'll turn the call over to Kathy. Thanks, Mark, and good afternoon, everyone. HP posted another solid quarter in Q2 fiscal 2009 and continues to demonstrate its ability to execute in both good and challenging markets. Our portfolio diversification, focus on innovation, and operational excellence have enabled us to effectively deliver results to both customers and shareholders. During today's call, I will recap our financial results for the second fiscal quarter and highlight some of the actions we have taken to position HP competitively when the economy recovers. Total revenue for the second quarter, including the EDS acquisition, was down 3% year-over-year as reported and up 3% in constant currency. Looking at revenue by geography, including the addition of EDS, America's revenue increased 9% year-on-year, EMEA was down 11%, and Asia-Pacific decreased 10%. Excluding the effects of currency, revenue was up 12% in the Americas, down 2% in EMEA, and down 5% in Asia-Pacific. Overall, the Q2 performance in each region was similar to Q1. Gross margins for the company were 23.5%, down 150 basis points from 25% one year ago. This decrease was driven by the addition of EDS, which has lower gross margins, as well as rate declines in our hardware businesses. Non-GAAP operating expenses for the quarter were $3.6 billion, down $643 million, or 15% from a year ago, despite absorbing EDS. In addition to benefiting from the stronger dollar, this decline highlights both the work we've been doing over the last few years to make our cost structure leaner and more flexible and the actions we have taken to improve our competitiveness in the current environment. While some of the actions we have taken on discretionary spending are, by their nature, temporary, we are making good progress in structurally improving our cost model and have line of sight to a significant amount of savings ahead of us. Non-GAAP operating margin increased to 10.4%, up from 10% in the prior year, driven by strong expense management and solid contributions from services. On the bottom line, this was offset by OINE expense of $180 million, primarily due to interest on our EDS-related debt obligations, as well as hedging losses. All in all, we delivered solid non-GAAP earnings per share of $0.86. Cents. Now moving on to the details of our performance by business. Services, including the addition of EDS, delivered revenue of $8.5 billion dollars. On a year-over-year basis, operating profit in the quarter more than doubled to $1.2 billion, or 13.8% of revenue, reflecting the addition of EDS and our sustained efforts in optimizing service delivery. Drilling down into the services business, Q2 revenue was $3.8 billion in IT outsourcing, $2.4 billion in technology services, 
$1.5 billion in application services, and $709 million in BPO. The EDS integration continues to go well. Customers see value in the EDS acquisition. We have a growing pipeline and had solid deal signings, including a $1 billion deal with Aviva. Enterprise storage and server revenue was $3.5 billion, down 28% year-over-year. Operating margin was 7.2%, pressured by lower volumes, tough market conditions, and the impact of the Cornell litigation charge. Revenue and business-critical systems and industry-standard servers each declined 29% year-on-year, even as we gained share in x86 servers and maintained our market leadership. Total storage revenue declined 22%. These results were driven primarily by unfavorable currency exchange rates and market conditions. HP software revenue declined 15% from the prior year to $880 million. BTO and other software revenues were each down 15% from the prior year. Support performance was solid across the portfolio, reflecting strong maintenance renewals and the sustained business value of our solutions. For the quarter, software operating profit increased 51% from the prior year to $157 million, or 17.8% of revenue. Personal systems delivered revenue of $8.2 billion, down 19% year-on-year, and operating profit of $374 million, or 4.6% of revenue. Total unit shipments were roughly flat year-on-year, with notebook unit growth of 14%, offset by desktop systems declines of 13%. Average selling prices declined more steeply this quarter due to product mix, currency, and a competitive environment. PSG continues to execute well in this challenging demand environment, gaining two full points of market share fueled by improvements in U.S. consumer and China. Imaging and printing revenue for Q2 was $5.9 billion, down 23% year-on-year due to a tough economic environment. IPG delivered another quarter of operating profit in excess of $1 billion. Segment operating margin increased 220 basis points to 18.2% as favorable supplies mix and cost reductions were partially offset by hardware rate decline. Compared to the second quarter last year, total printer units declined 27%, and consumer and commercial hardware units declined 23% and 36%, respectively. Supplies revenue declined 14% due to lower end-user demand and reductions in channel inventory. Last quarter, we outlined several actions that IPG was taking to align its supply chain with lower demand. IPG made progress against these objectives with both owned and channel inventory down significantly since the end of Q1. We continue to be the undisputed leader in printing with over twice the market share of our nearest competitor. We are investing in new innovation across the printing business that we expect will drive page growth and extend our leadership. Some of the more innovative investments include our retail publishing system, TouchMart Technologies, the Indigo 6000, and new mobile and cloud printing technologies. In addition, we demonstrated good momentum in wireless printing and managed print services in Q2. Rounding out the segments, HP Financial Services had revenue of $641 million, down 6% year-over-year due to unfavorable currency exchange rate impacts and generated operating margin of 7.2%. Now, on to the balance sheet and cash management. We closed the quarter with a strong balance sheet, increasing the total gross cash to $13 billion while reducing our total debt by $1.7 billion. Excluding the debt associated with our financing business, we returned to a positive net cash position this quarter. Day sales outstanding increased to 48 days in Q2, up from 43 days one year ago, and up from 46 days in Q109. Days payable was 49 days, down six days year-on-year, and up one day sequentially. Owned inventory was down seven days year-on-year to 25 days, and down six days sequentially, reflecting good progress in aligning inventory to the demand environment. With regards to channel inventory, each of our segments is within its target range. Compared with a year ago, ESS channel inventory was flat, PSG was up a week, and IPG was up a half a week. We made significant progress in improving IPG's channel inventory position in Q2, reducing it by one week sequentially. Gross CapEx was $842 million, 
up 20% from the prior year period. On a net basis, CapEx was $744 million, up 24% year over year. Increased capital expenditures were primarily related to growth in our leasing and outsourced services businesses, including EDS. Cash flow from operations grew $4 billion sequentially to $5 billion in Q2, with free cash flow increasing to $4.2 billion. Share repurchases in the second quarter totaled $801 million, or approximately 24 million shares. At the end of the quarter, we had roughly $7.1 billion remaining in the current share repurchase authorization. Finally, we paid our normal quarterly dividend, totaling $192 million. Before turning to our outlook for Q3, I wanted to provide an update on our restructuring activities. In September, we outlined the details of the EDS integration with plans to achieve $2.5 billion in annual gross run rate savings once the integration is complete. As the integration has progressed, we have been able to further refine the real estate requirements of the combined company and as a result expect to achieve incremental annual savings of approximately $500 million beginning in 2012. This brings the total expected annual growth savings associated with the EDS acquisition to $3 billion. The incremental charges associated with the real estate transformation are expected to total approximately $1 billion, including a $210 million charge to Goodwill in Q2. The remainder of the charges will be recorded over the next two and a half years as we cease to use the facilities. In addition, we will be taking some targeted actions to structurally change and improve the effectiveness of our product businesses. These actions will result in the elimination of approximately 2% of the HP workforce as we further streamline and simplify our organization and our supply chain. These actions will be implemented over the next 12 months after consultation with employee representatives where required. As a result of these real estate and headcount actions, we expect to record a charge of approximately 12 to 14 cents in the Q309 GAAP P&L. Now looking ahead to our outlook for Q3 and fiscal 2009. We expect Q3 fiscal 2009 revenue to be approximately flat to down 2% sequentially in line with typical seasonality. For the full year, we expect revenue to be down 4 to 5%, including an unfavorable impact from currency exchange rates of approximately 6 to 7 percentage points. Regarding earnings, there are a few variables to keep in mind. We expect OINE expense of about $0.05 cents per quarter, a tax rate of approximately 21%, and weighted average shares outstanding to be roughly flat in the second half of fiscal 2009. With that in mind, we expect third quarter non-GAAP EPS in the range of $0.88 cents to $0.90. Cents. For the full year, our outlook for non-GAAP EPS remains unchanged in the range of $3.76 to $3.88 representing growth of 4 to 7% for the year. We will now open the call for your questions. Operator, we're ready. Ladies and gentlemen, if you wish to ask a question, please press star followed by 1 on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered, simply press star 2. All questions must be submitted at this time in order for it to be registered. Questions will be taken in the order received. Please press star 1 now to begin, and please stand by for your first question. Your first question comes from the line of Tony Sakinagi with Stanford. Please proceed. Uh, yes, thank you. I, I was wondering if you could comment on uh, just the overall market environment. Uh, last quarter, you said you expected revenues to decline minus 2 to minus 5%. You're now saying you expect revenues to decline minus 4 to minus 5%, even though currency is actually going to be more favorable now than you anticipated before. So your outlook for the year has deteriorated, yet you're guiding for normal seasonality. How do we reconcile those points? Do you think the market has is actually worse than you had anticipated a, a quarter ago? Do you feel that HP is less competitive in any way? Uh, how do we reconcile your guidance from last time? Uh, versus now. Okay, Tony, Mark. Um, you know, I, I, first of all, I would not go, certainly we don't think HP is less competitive. We think HP is more competitive. So, um, you know, that, that would be how I feel about that point. Um, I think we see the market as roughly the same. 
We're within the same revenue range as we talked about before. We probably haven't – currency to us is still volatile, so I, I wouldn't say that we factored every currency spot rate into the number. This is more of a local comparison, local currency sort of uh, move to move. So uh, while we see at a macro level a couple of areas that we see some encouraging signs, I think that would be the right way for me to describe it, Tony – you know, China was a little stronger than, than, than we've seen it, and so we would look at that as good news. We, we saw some, some slight improvements in, in U.S. consumer, so we would look at that as, as, as some good news. In terms of the rest of the market, I could tell you a lot of stories with a lot of different uh, signs, but I'm, I'm not ready to call it better uh, beyond the two that I described to you. So I think you should view this as sort of steady as she goes. When you looked at the quarter, uh, if we went back 90 days ago, the quarter for us being Q2 that we just reported uh, behaved roughly as we expected, Tony. It was, you know, there were a few things here or there, but generally it behaved at a macro level as we expected. I would say we were a little better on the bottom line than we expected, but the revenue top line was about what we expected, and our view is that with the exception of a couple of places that I talked about, it's roughly going to be the same the rest of the year. I think that's the way you should view that you should view our guidance. If currency tends to be a help, that's great. Um, we're not really factoring in a major improvement in currency in anything that we've seen yet so far either. Mark, just one quick follow-up, if I may. You you commented a little bit on the quarter being kind of in line with your expectations. Uh, I presume that means normal linearity. Yes. Um, if I could if I could just pick up on one point, I, I think IDC had said that your unit growth in PCs from March, from January to March was plus three. The unit growth that you reported in PCs was actually flat. So if you took that data as sacrosanct, which I know it's not, it would actually suggest that at least in the PC market, April was a little bit worse than January. Right. Any comments on that data point specifically or linearity across businesses in the quarter? Uh, Tony, I, I, as always, I applaud you for your analytics. It, as you know, it's just not that that good. I mean, in terms of the analytics, uh, the IDC data has got one dimension to it that 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 requires a little bit more detail. And I would not run there with your analysis. I would say your first point is the way to think about it. Linearity-wise, the quarter behaved uh, roughly as we expected. Um, so there's just absolutely no news I could give you uh, in the context of linearity. April did not look weaker. Uh, on a relative basis than March or February. In fact, each quarter, each month behaved roughly as we expected. So um, I, I hate to make it sound like there's no news, but on the top line, the quarter was, was uh, you know, frankly, amazingly from where we were 90 days ago. It, it behaved roughly as we expected. And I think perhaps, Tony, in the context of that, that's good news. Um, if you want to look for sort of something that was at least predictable compared to the kind of environment we were actually going through in Q1, which was clearly more volatile. Thank you. Let's take the next question, please. Your next question comes from the line of Brian Alexander with Raymond James. Please proceed. Okay. On the supplies business, just given the year-over-year declines of 7%, and 14 that you've seen over the last two quarters, so a little bit over 10% in the first half of the year, Mark. What, what specific metrics do you track internally, whether they be macro or micro in nature, that might support your argument that the declines you're seeing in the supplies business are entirely cyclical versus secular? Uh, so there's a lot of metrics we track, uh, uh, Brian. Obviously, we track uh, revenue performance. We track uh, owned uh, or profit, if you will. We track uh, owned inventory, channel inventory, if you will, the aggregated supply chain uh, across the business. We track market share by segment. We track market share by by, by country. So it, it's a pretty thorough scorecard we track in the printing business. We obviously then look at it relative to our pools of the business, which is graphics, which is obviously a place that we have a lot of intellectual property, uh, inkjet, where we have a lot of intellectual property, and then laser. So we actually look across those three pools as well with the same, the same metric set. So, um, you know, with supplies, I think, you know, you should expect probably in Q3, 
well, you know, a bit more of, of what you saw in Q2 um, for us. There's some places that we did a very good job in IPG managing the collective-owned inventory and channel inventory. We feel very good about that. But there's some places that we'd like to align the mix of hardware uh, with supplies within the context of the channel inventory. I also think in Q3 you should expect to see us going after a bit more share uh, than what you saw in Q2. We, we, this was really interesting for us. Uh, one point that would be a little noticeable, I thought, in the quarter was we, we had some, some hardware situations where we had some outages, and we could have uh, shipped uh, some more hardware units in the quarter um, than we did. So we'll try to take advantage of those opportunities from a, a market share perspective in, 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 in Q3. Brian, let me just for a second, though, try to take you up a level and try to give you some context for how we look at the whole business because I think it's, it's, it's related to your point. I mean, our view is the base business is, is slightly up over the long term. Flat to slightly up would be the way I would think of the entire uh, printing segment. Digital printing content is growing. So the cyclical stuff that we're seeing right now, as we've talked about before, is based on GDP and, and, and unemployment. But secular changes that occur in printing, which I've heard from several people that says, is there some big secular change in printing? Secular changes occur over years and, 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 and decades and, and over very long periods. I mean, home photo printing, for example, is less than 10% of our supplies revenue. It's shifting to the web and it's shifting to retail locations as well as the home, which is one of the reasons why you see HP investing in Snapfish. It's one of the reasons why you see HP investing in retail photo kiosks. That as everything that goes, when things go to Snapfish, a photo book, for example, is printed on an Indigo printer using HP Intellectual Property and HP Inc. When you go to a retailer and see an HP photo kiosk, you're printing that on HP Inc. and HP Intellectual Property. And the reason why we build that strategy around pages is because we want to be where the consumer goes to print, and so we're agnostic as to where the consumer goes to be able to get that photo printed. And we see that base business being, again, some good things and some, some things that perhaps are headwinds in terms of what the overall business looks like. So think of it this way. Continued growth in printable, con printable content, a lot of movement from analog printing to digital. So there is a big market pool for analog printing to move to digital. Things like brochures, you know, signage, uh, labels, uh, coupons, manuals, stuff like this is all stuff that's shifting from analog to digital, giving us an opportunity for us to get more business. At the same time, digital printing is increasing and improving its ability to deliver quality, speed. It's lowering its cost, and that will shift more applications to to digital. So things like newspapers, directories, magazines, all these things have an opportunity to move to digital. And then that gives us an opportunity for us to leverage our intellectual property as we move. So when we look at the whole thing, we say the base business is flattage, flat to up slightly, and then we like our opportunities to, to gain share in the context of that hand that gets dealt to us. Thanks for the uh, let me just add that we think that with the position that we've got, our technology roadmap and our strong competitive position, that we will gain share in that market over the long term um, when economies come back, and that that would allow us to grow this business in the low to mid-single digits, which uh, Mark talk about, talked about earlier. I think the other thing I really want to make clear to folks is IPG today is roughly one-third of HP's profits. That's a very different position that IPG is in. Um, today versus in the, historically. Um, we've now got a much better balanced set of segments from a profitability perspective. I mean, you see services this quarter generating over a billion dollars, $1.2 billion in operating profit, and IPG at just over a billion. From a margins expectation perspective, in the near term, we're, we expect IPG margins to stay up in the high teens because we get such a high uh, supplies mix. But over the longer term, with us going out and gaining share again, getting the unit placements when the market turns around, we expect it to basically go back to the more norm, normal mid-teen range. Um, and so that's really how you should think about this printing business. We are very well, well positioned for when economies turn and we have this uh, mix shift from analog to digital. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, to, Brian, I'm probably more data than you 
than, than you were asking for, but I think it's important to set the context that we look at the market as being a, a you know a, a low single digit growth market, and then we like our opportunity to gain share within it. And, and that's probably the point when you know we're dealing with some of the issues we had in Q1, where you know we get frustrated because we just think the opportunity is a marvelous one for us to take advantage of, given our IP position, our share position, our brand position, and the movement from analog to digital. Thanks. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Ben Reitzies with Barclays Capital. Please proceed. Hi. I want to take the tech, uh, I guess, of revenue guidance minutiae with a half-full view. Um, you, you guys uh, had way below seasonality the last two quarters, including this one, uh, and um, in, in terms of sequential trends. And now you're guiding normal sequential seasonality. You, you said you saw an uptick in China and uh, consumer in the U.S., but, you know, to get to normal seasonality with the deterioration you saw over the last two quarters, doesn't that mean that the rate of declines are are going to get much better in, in ESS and, and printing, and, and what are you seeing there to actually make things better um, on a year-over-year trend basis? I mean, to get to normal seasonality sequentially after two um after two such uh, downside uh, on normal seasonality, and, and by the way, you are the only large tech company to, that, that I cover that's coming close to the consensus revenue for the current quarter. So, I, you know, I, 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 I give you credit for that. But anyway, any views on that? And then, Kathy, uh, could you just mention how much the charge hurt earnings in the quarter? Uh, what would EPS have been without that Cornell litigation charge and, and even without the hedging losses? Thanks. Let, let me take the last one first. Um, the Cornell charge was um, roughly two cents. Um, it was about a penny in uh, operating profit and a penny in OI&E. And so that would be comparable to us delivering 88 cents versus the 86. And then the penny, the penny I think Kathy mentioned it uh, earlier, the penny in, uh, in operating hit in ESS. So that, that, that's where it hit. Um, listen, I think there's merit to your points, Ben. I mean, I think that, as I mentioned to Tony's, you know, question, you know, the, it, it's a more predictable environment than we had, and I think that's, you know, that's your point. And so we are seeing some normal seasonality uh, show up. I, I would add to it, we have an EDS now inclusion in the company, and their seasonality isn't precisely what HP seasonality was. So you've got a little bit of effect. They are used to a calendar quarter, so they both have a stronger Q4 and don't have some of the Europe issues that, that we have from a product perspective as Europe goes on vacation, uh, at least for some part of our of our Q3. So there is some of that in there. But, I mean, Ben, I mean, I think your points are right. I mean, again, we, we had a quarter where we looked at the numbers uh, at the beginning, and the quarter behaved roughly as we expected. Uh, from a uh, from a revenue perspective, and there are many normal seasonality points that you see, you know, coming into the outlook that we're describing to you. The only caution I give you is we are not forecasting any significant change in behavior because we just want to see more data before we we feel good that there's any material improvement in the market. What I do like about what's going on is our ability to align our cost with the demand we are handed has proven to be very, very strong. And I think operationally it's been a very good performance by our, our management team, uh, certainly not me and uh, uh, not Kathy, but the people that are really running the business are doing a good job aligning that cost with the demand. And then inside the demand that, that, that's handed to us, in at least many important segments, we're gaining share. So, uh, you know, I, I think we like to, to Tony's earlier question, which I'll say again, we like our chances when the rebound does occur to be a major participant in, in the market when that occurs because of what we're doing right now. And I say again that, that the winners, when the rebound occurs, are determined in the downturn. And, and we like our position, Ben. Thanks a lot. Your next question comes from the line of Mark Moskowitz with J.P. Morgan. Please proceed. Yes, good afternoon. Thank you. I want to touch base on the EDS revenue profile, if you could, Kathy or Mark. Just trying to get a sense in terms of the runway you still have ahead of you in terms of the quality of the revenue. You mentioned the signings and the billion-dollar-plus deal, but just trying to get a sense with the legacy deals, 
Are there certain underperforming contracts that you're starting to prune that could really drive even greater incremental leverage either later this year or next year from a margin perspective? Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm uh, Mark, going to do my best to be concise, um, which is not my strength when talking about this subject. Uh, maybe it's my, my strength about a number of subjects, but, but with this one, there, there's a lot of work we're doing at EDS to operationalize the business. So I would say, again, the strength of EDS is absolutely superior service delivery to its customers. We believe it is the best service delivery organization on the planet. That's our belief. And that our data supports that with the measurements that, that we do. Now, we have work to do to align the cost with the revenue. So, so we've got work to do to make sure we have a clear line of sight about why that cost is there and why it supports what revenue and what service delivery. And that is work that is ongoing. Additionally, this is an organization that created most of its demand by picking up the telephone and hearing from a contract negotiator that a company was about to outsource. So if you think about it on its two extremes, Mark, we are trying hard to align the demand to get the leverage of the greater HP sales organization that's out in the field. And you're beginning to see that occur in the funnel. That's exactly when I talk about the uptick in the funnel that's occurring is because we are seeing more deals than EDS saw before because of our position in the marketplace through our sales force. Secondly, the integration that you're seeing and, and, and the work that Kathy and I talked about in terms of the, the number of people that have, that have left the business, there's work far beyond that. And we gave you the real estate example earlier, which is continuing to align the overhead structure, the cost that sits inside EDS that does not specifically support service delivery, and then the alignment of the specific delivery, service delivery itself. And we are working all of those simultaneously. And I'll just say one more time, which I think I said earlier, uh, the best days of, of our performance in our services business are ahead of us um, with the work we've got to get done. And I can tell you, as happy as I was um, when we announced the EDS deal, as uh, optimistic as I think Kathy and I were in uh, August of, of, of last year, uh, I would say that uh, we are uh, even more positive on it today than we were at, uh, at that point. I'd firmly say we have a lot more work to do, so I'm not here trying to tell you it's done by any means. It's just the signs of progress are, uh, are there. Thank you. I'd also add uh, that when you think about the cost savings opportunities and the margin improvement that we've seen year on year in services, that really came from both the traditional HP services business as well as the EDS side of the house. In fact, they, they both equally contributed to that performance. Um, and that's really because we're, we're in kind of the mid-inning, I would say, on the transformation with respect to the HP traditional services. And we're in very early innings, to Mark's point, on the EDS opportunities from a savings perspective. And that's with 190 basis point improvement year on year in um, operating margin. The other thing I, I just wanted to add to Mark's comment on the customer side is that while we are ahead on the integration, and it, it has obviously ramifications for um, individuals at EDS, customer satisfaction is up. Customers like the acquisition, and they are continuing to be delighted by the EDS side of the house. So it's, it's really a, an all-around good story. Great. Let's take the next question, please. Your next question comes from the line of Richard Gardner with City. Please proceed. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Um, I think on the last call, Mark and Kathy, you talked about the inventory correction potentially taking up to two quarters or a quarter and a half to get done. Um, can you talk about whether you ended the quarter with more or less inventory than you wanted? In other words, is it, was, was the inventory correction in the quarter bigger or smaller than you expected? And do you believe that uh, levels are where you need them to be at this point? Let, let me first talk about owned inventory, because uh, it may not have been clear on the last call. We expected that we could correct and get our owned inventory in good shape in a quarter, and we did that. We made great improvement on the channel side. We are now within our target range, and so we feel good about that. It's now really about optimizing the mix underneath. Um, and so there are going to be some countries that are not exactly the way, the way we want them to be. There will be some locations where we, we have um, more of hardware than um, supplies or vice versa. So there's still some optimization that needs to take place, um, but making, we made the progress that we had hoped to make. 
Rich, I think you got about as good an answer as you could get from uh, from from me. That's that's exactly where uh, where we are, and and I think it's probably uh, good news. We just have to optimize, as Kathy's point, by as I mentioned earlier, by country, by sort of skew number, and and within the quarter, probably the only thing that I'd say was a bit of a surprise to us in IPG was that there was more demand um, on the hardware side than than we could fulfill, and. Part of that was because we were adjusting our inventory, and that's when I say in Q3 you'll see us get uh, um, a little bit more aggressive on the market share side. Um, that's what you'd expect. But I'd, I'd say, you know, what happens to us in IPG, we have quarters like we had in Q1, and we have to go back and, and, and do what we did. But I think overall, uh, good scorecard on, on that aspect of it in Q2 for sure. Okay. And, and then if and then I could ask uh, two quick follow-ups. Um, the the inventory situation is is that part of the reason that you're confident in normal seasonality for the third quarter? Because um, I know that uh, that Europe is typically tough during the June July time frame, and we've actually heard a number of your distribution partners talk about Europe continuing to deteriorate at the margin. So I guess uh, as, as a follow up to the inventory question, I'm I'm wondering what gives you comfort uh, guiding the normal seasonality for the third quarter. And then uh, also, Kathy uh, and Mark, I was hoping you could give us a sense of whether distributors in emerging markets, which I guess were really dramatically reducing their supplies inventories to free up working capital, whether they've started to come back in order again. Thank you. Rich, why don't you pick one of those questions to ask here? We're, we're uh, not allowing multiple questions. Okay, okay Jim, let's, let's go with the guidance question. You know, at, at some level, the, the normal seasonality um, really depends on the mix of your business, and we have a bigger services mix um, in this year than we've had traditionally, and that gives some some more normal seasonality relative to HP historically. And then there are there are different stories kind of underneath that um, normal seasonality. But obviously, EDS gives us a a fair amount of cover because it's a more linear business, which Mark commented on um, when we talked about this. I think we answered this question earlier. Yeah, Rich, I think back to your point on IPG, too. I mean, clearly it's one of the reasons why we wanted to get the, 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 the work done in Q2, to give us the room to be able to take advantage of some of the market dynamics that unfold. And, you know, you've got a little bit of disparity now between some of the things going on in Asia, some of the things going on in the U.S., and some of the things, to your point, going on in Europe. And so we want the opportunity to, I think, the point Kathy made, to say, let's get this thing instrumented right now at a lower level of detail so we take advantage of what we think is a, a pretty big opportunity. You've got to remember, in our ecosystem, it, it's not just the consumer inkjet and laser jet stuff. It's also the graphics piece because we're very riveted on the places that we have extremely strong IP portfolios. So for us, it's not just getting the channel inventory right, uh, in the consumer side, it's making sure we've got our digital presses and everything lined up too. And part of what we do, to to your point, is to free up capital and room so that we can take advantage of market opportunities. Which is in Q1, we had ourselves in a position where we just didn't have as much flexibility as as Kathy and I would have liked. And that's why we need to do the work in Q2 to be in a position to take advantage of it in Q3. Okay, thank you. Take the next question, please. Your next question comes from the line of Scott Craig with Bank of America. Please proceed. Thanks. Good afternoon. Hey, Kathy, with regards to cash flow um, and related to the guidance you're given on the, on the top line and on the bottom line, can you maybe take us through um, where you think the cash flow plays out over the course of the year and maybe some of the working capital ranges around that that you think are going to be appropriate? Thanks. Scott, we had a great quarter from a cash flow from our perspective. I think we told you on the call last quarter that it was going to snap back, and it certainly snapped. Um, we also, last quarter, and I'll reiterate this quarter, believe that we'll have a strong FY09 cash flow from operations year as well. Um, part of that is going to come from the fact that our cash conversion cycle does have some opportunity to improve a bit. Um, that improvement will come predominantly in the inventory as we streamline our supply chain a bit more um, this year. And frankly, it will continue into next year. The opportunities that we have in, in some of our supply chains, specifically in IPG, are going to continue into next year. So that will give us some improvement there. Um, you should expect to see um, a bit better on the days of inventory. From a DSO perspective, um, you know, kind of roughly where we are, 
um, is uh, is what you should expect, and the same pretty much on the payable side. We've done a really good job, and it's not as evident because you, you don't know we don't produce numbers that normalize for EDS, but the DPO is actually up two days year on year when you normalize for EDS. And so we're really making good progress in managing our payables as well. And we're doing all of this as well as doing those um, transactions that help us leverage our balance sheet um, that drive economic value for the company. And I think that that is probably an underlying story that we don't tell enough, but to be able to do as well as we've been doing on the cash conversion cycle and take advantage of these opportunities is, uh, is really a testament to how well we're managing the company. Okay, thank you. Your next question comes from the line of David Bailey with Goldman Sachs. Please proceed. Great. Thank you very much. Um, just switching to PCs, you continue to gain share, uh, but your op margins are also coming down. Um, how do you think about the trade-off between market share and profitability in PCs at this point? We, we think about it, um, but, you know, we're not really pricing um, that aggressively in the market. So I wouldn't say we've gone out, David, to your, your point. I know we've gained share. Um, but it isn't our objective necessarily. We try to run a good, solid business. Um, what is going on inside inside PSG has more to do with uh, currency uh, being in effect uh, on the business, and frankly, the mix of what's being sold skewing. And this is not a uh, this is like a, a more highly configured notebook being a little less highly configured. Um, a highly configured desktop being a little less highly configured. And so we've got sort of a, a skew shifting occurring, whereas what we see is customers just buying what they have to buy to get the job done. And that's, that's more of an effect than, than, say, an aggressive uh, pricing environment in the traditional way that might be asked, uh, uh, David. So I think for us, you know, we look at a 5-0 last quarter, a 4-6 this quarter is um, – you know, pretty good performance considering a 19% uh, revenue decline. So, again, just to, just to give you some context the way I look at PSG, you know, here's a group 19% down, to your point, gaining share while they, while they do it, um, delivering to the company a cash conversion cycle, which is reminiscent of their growth days in terms of, 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 of operating performance, continuing to deliver a strong return on invested capital and delivering, I'd say, at least reasonable op margins given the fact that you've got this uh, skewing going on, no, no, that was S-K-E-W-I-N-G, on, on what's going on with the mix within the, uh, the, the revenue portfolio. So, you know, I tend to look at PSG as, as pretty strong at, at, at the current time. You know, they took the... Uh, the share lead in, in the two regions that we didn't have the lead in the quarter. And, again, that's not the objective. It's the result, I think, of, 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 of doing the business fundamentals pretty, pretty well. And as you look forward, do you expect that skew to continue to come down and margins to continue to come down, or do you think it's probably stabilized? Well, I mean, like we said, with everything in the quarter, you, you saw a very you know, some similarity in Q2 than what you saw in Q1. And, and um, so we didn't see the, the, the volatility in the Q2, if you looked at it sequentially, from what we saw in, in Q1. So, um, you know, we're predicting, again, more of the same as we look out over the course of the year as opposed to it changing to the negative. Great. Thank, you. Thank you. Thanks, David. Your next question comes from the line of Kathy Huberty with Morgan Stanley. Please proceed. Thanks. Mark, HP customers haven't spent this little on servers and storage in an April quarter since before the Compaq acquisition. So I'd love your perspective on, on how long you think corporates can delay spending and if there are any anecdotes you've picked up that, you know, at least it won't get worse from here and maybe even it starts to get better. Katie, that's a great question. I mean, we talk about it all the time. I mean, it, it is exactly the right question. We have customers that tell me, we're just delaying as long as we can until we, 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 we have to buy. And we've got a pretty pretty good model that looks at, you know, what those time frames are that can people can put things off to. And you've got customers, and remember, particularly in the enterprise, most customers start planning their fiscal year September and October, make some tweaks to it November and December before the year starts. Um, my view is the fact that you'll see any catalyst 
material catalyst that will change the 09 trajectory in enterprise spending is, is, is probably not realistic. Most of these companies fix on their budget. In order for that budget, that CapEx budget to go up, most of the companies doing the buying have to have some change in their plan. I think the more important question is, what are those planning sessions looking like in August and September of 2009, about 2010? I think there is a chance if people see any sort of meaningful catalyst that some people say, listen, if Q4 is getting a little better, maybe we'll pull something from 2010 into the fourth quarter of 2009. But I, I think that's more likely what's going to happen here, Katie. I think CIOs have been giving marching orders that says take that infrastructure, keep the infrastructure running. If you have to replace things to keep things running, replace it. New projects, be very particular about new projects you start. And, and if you can avoid starting that project, avoid starting it. And so I, I think that's what's going on. And to your point, there are some enterprises that are struggling with not having to do replacements, and that's where you see some of the business coming from. So there will be a pop. I, I think it's more the time frames I'm describing to you, though, Katie. Thanks. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Bill Shoup with Credit Suisse. Please proceed. Okay, great. Thanks, guys. Uh, Mark, we've had some major uh, shifts in the enterprise segment, obviously, as of late. Cisco getting into servers, Oracle planning on tying up with Sun, et cetera. Can you give us a sense on how you see HP's strategy fitting into this landscape over time and perhaps ways the strategy may have to evolve? Um, you know, listen, Oracle, Bill, is a, is a strong partner of, of HP. We obviously do a lot of stuff together. We build a joint product that we go to market with called Exadata. We uh, have just done more and more together over the past several years. So uh, we think we have a, a very strong partnership, and we expect that to, to continue. Um, when you look at the greater enterprise, um, again, maybe we ought to be clear about our strategy. I mean, we, we continue to see the enterprise um, – with being a very much an industry standard, common components-based environment. When you look at the server market, the server market, the storage market, the networking market, all look sort of similar when you, when you look at them from a revenue and a market sizing perspective, but have very different margin profiles. The, the gross margins of the industry in storage are exponentially higher than those of servers. The gross margin in the networking market is exponentially higher than that of storage. And we see that entire market being built off a series of standard components that you would think of today being PC components. So think of this scaled tens of billions of dollars supply chain of common industry components, not just silicon, but, but hard disk drives, memory, uh, power supplies, etc., etc., feeding whether that's a PC an industry standard server, a blade, a storage array, or a networking device. And the fact that you have, you have to have tremendous scale and yet the unique of common components and yet the unique capability to take into one of, the individualized, one of these individualized products and yet simultaneously, as we did with Matrix, integrate them into a common platform. So for us, it's, it's, it's very important to continue to build out that ecosystem and gain the leverage of that scale. And so anybody who wants to get into that fight, which is, you know, you've got to be able to fight against that whole PC scale, that server scale, the storage scale, and the network scale, and you've got to be able to take it to common components. Just to give you one antidote, if you went back two years ago, our storage componentry was less than 35% that was common components. And we believe over time we can do more than double that using the same components that sit, and I think more than double that, off common components that you would think of today being part of a PC. So in the context of companies that are able to go grab that scale and leverage off that ecosystem, you know, we're, 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 we're excited and, and ready to get after it. And, and it's not just about scale and standard um, componentry. It's also then about kind of wrapping it with um, software and other IP as well as services in order to deliver the entire package. Modernizing the data center is not just about um, piece parts. It's about being able to put them all together with unique IP to run, automate, and service the data center. 
Yeah, I mean, that's exactly. So for us, I mean, we're trying to then put on top of these common capabilities management software, the data center automation, server management, storage management, et cetera, and then be able to deliver the services soup to nuts to be able to, to, to run it, which is why we've done what we've done, continue to build scale in our industry standards business across all of those categories, support it with a software strategy, and support it with a services strategy. So, you know, Bill, when you net it all out, you know, we, we feel pretty good about our position. We'll have to execute and, you know, show that uh, – so that it all comes together in a way that's meaningful improvement for the company and our shareholders. And this is also moving up the margin stack for HP. Yeah. So it's going to have good benefits to uh, gross margins, too, as we execute. Yeah, we just like the opportunity to move up the margins. We think there's more for us to go get. And not, not, not just that the, the revenue piles look or market sizes look, look roughly the same. The margin pools look very different. So, and so for us, we think that's upside. Very helpful. Thank you. Thanks, Bill. Let's take uh, two more questions, please. Your next question comes from the line of Maynard Um with UBS. Please proceed. Hi, thanks. Uh, Mark, I think you may have touched on this, but I just wanted to make sure I was clear. As it relates to the U.S. and China, can you distinguish between inventory restocking and end demand? There's obviously been a lot of news flow talking about swinging too far on destocking during the holidays. So this quarter may have benefited from a, a rebalancing. And, you know, your comments, I think, clearly pointed to the April quarter uh, from a U.S. And, and China demand, but can you just clarify if your comment includes what you're seeing in the market today and relative to other markets outside of U.S. and China? I know you don't want to call it a turn, but do you think you might call it or couch it as, as a stabilization that's occurring? Thanks. So I, I think, man, what I'm going to do is stick with what I said, that we saw, you know, improvement in China, and it was, it was material. We saw improvement in U.S. consumer that I wouldn't say was as material, but we could see the we could see the the improvement, and that is meant to be a demand point, not a uh, stocking point or anything uh, along those lines. The rest of the market, again, I could tell you a lot of stories about you know different markets in the Nordics versus Spain versus this. I, I just think we're going to need another quarter of data to be able to to really make a meaningful statement. Uh, about any any upturn or, or anything like that. I think our guidance alone um, shows you more predictability in, in what we've given you. Our guidance is meant to be um, sort of a steady-as-she-goes uh, guidance relative to what we gave you before. There will always be you know, some puts and takes, but at the company level, we think, we think pretty solid so, uh, uh, relative to what we gave before. So uh, that's where I'll leave it, Manny. Your final question comes from the line of Shannon Cross with Cross Research. Please proceed. Thanks for taking my question. Um, just, Mark, as you're thinking about, you know, you're working through the EDS integration. Uh, you paid down debt this quarter. You've got about a billion eight of cash net of um, HPFS. Can you talk a little bit about your appetite for acquisitions, what you're thinking about the market, um, and just, you know, any thoughts you have on that? Thanks. Yeah, Shannon, it's interesting you said it because, you know, we're we're trying to, uh, get our analyst day lined up so that we gave you meaningful go-forward guidance on our models and where we're taking the company. And it was uh, suggested in a, in a note that I got that we move the analyst day because we're looking at some large transformational acquisition. And uh, would you like to would you like to tell us what it is now? Yeah, that, that, well, I'm sure you wouldn't tell anybody. But but let me be clear. All jokes aside, let me be clear. That is not why the analyst meeting uh, analyst day meeting was moved. We move the analyst day because we want to give you more information, not less. We want to give you more insight as to where we're going, not more. And the timing didn't give us the opportunity to give as much, you know, forward-looking guidance as, as we'd like. But the, the, there's no connection, no thing that, that aligns some large transformational acquisition to some reason to move the analyst day. And any help you could give me in this uh, small conversation we're having to make sure that message gets out, I'd sure appreciate I think you just did. But any any thoughts going forward on, on acquisitions just in general? I mean, we try to be very disciplined, Shannon, as I think we've always been. I mean, I hope, you know, it, using your point about EDS, it shows we, we think we're pretty thoughtful when we try to acquire something. We try to think, make sure something fits strategically, it fits operationally, and that, uh, and that it makes sense financially. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll continue that. Um, but... You know, right now we're very focused on running the company, taking advantage operationally of what we think are some, 
you know, pretty significant opportunities for when this thing does turn to take advantage of it. And as I hope you can see by what's gone on in the quarter, we've been very focused on our cost initiatives, very focused on integrating EDS and getting that right. We've been working on our cash flow, and, and we just think it makes darn good sense to improve our, our cash position um, as, 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 as time goes on. So, so I would not read anything more into it than us just trying to run the company in the best way that we can and, and optimize uh, our, our position. So uh, that's the way uh, uh, I think I'll answer it, Shannon. Okay. <clears throat> Thanks. Okay. Um, maybe we'll, uh, we'll close up here just to say, listen, let me just summarize quickly, you know, on the quarter. I think, you know, the company executed well in, a, in, a, in a, I'll at least say, a challenging environment. We're working hard to align our assets and our cost structure to the demand environment uh, that uh, that were handed and generate solid earnings and, and cash flow. We had good strength in services. It's our largest profit driver today with significant opportunity, as we talked about, for us to increase uh, that contribution uh, going forward. So while while market conditions are, are, are still tough, we feel very well positioned given our broad portfolio, our global reach, our, our scale. We've talked about our, our share performance in many uh, many segments. Uh, our, we have confidence in our EPS guidance with the revenue ranges that we've provided given all the cost savings uh, and the opportunities from the EDS uh, integration and uh, our diverse and recurring uh, business mix. So uh, that's where we'll leave it today, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you. We thank you for your participation in today's conference. This does conclude your presentation. You may now disconnect and have a great day.